Hey everyone, Kish Rajan, Chief Evangelist at Cal Innovates, and welcome to the latest edition of A Step Ahead. We're really lucky this time to talk to Hemant Tanasia, who is the Managing Director of General Catalyst, a venture and investment firm in the Silicon Valley. Uh, but Hemant is not just an investor. He is a tremendous thinker about what's happening with innovation and technology and its impact at reshaping our entire economy and what that means for our country and our society. He's a very deep thinker uh, that raises wonderful questions and issues that need to be grappled with as we go down this path of a whole new global economy and how we make the right policies uh, to work within it. Uh, it was a very, very thoughtful and interesting discussion, and I hope you'll enjoy the chat that we have. Hey, Montanasia, thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate you being on a step ahead. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Beth. Hey, listen, I, um, there's lots to talk about here as we continue to watch. Uh, as we're recording this, uh, we're just a couple of weeks away from the inauguration of, of President Trump. We're in a very interesting time in our country, and technology has played a uh, uh, a very interesting role in the politics uh, of the election. And, and, and I'd love to get into that and some of the related issues uh, with you. But I want to start, you know, you, you, you recently uh, published a piece on Medium uh, that I thought was tremendous. And I, I will make sure our, our listeners get a link to it so that they can read it in full. Uh, and in the piece, you talk about all the amazing things that seem to be coming true or on the precipice of, of coming into reality, all the amazing innovations that have been dreamed about for a long time. Um, and yet there are, I don't want to say downsides, but there are, there are meaningful considerations uh, to look at uh, as all these innovations uh, come into fruition. And you, you raise some real cautions or, or at least things to think about. And you know, tell us about that piece and, and, and why you wanted to write it. Yeah. So I was, basically in my year-end reflection mode as to what are the kind of things that we've been doing, what are the things that resonated uh, with me in terms of what we heard from entrepreneurs over the year. And, and I got to a point where the observation that we were making was, gosh, you know, it's, it's the same set of people that are working on um, self-driving cars and self-driving car uh, trucks, as I wrote in that article. It's the same people that are working on life extension and figuring out basic income at the same time. So when you add all that up, you basically say, okay, there's 3 million plus truck drivers who we're going to tell, now you don't have any, any jobs anymore, and we're going to help you live forever or for a lot longer than you're used to. And by the way, uh, we'll put you on a stipend, uh, you know, and you have no purpose. And, and, yeah. and that's really what catalyzed uh, the reflection saying, gosh, you know, in some ways we're in this amazing time, as you said, when it comes to technology and what technology is unleashing for us. But at the, at the same time, it really is about how we channel uh, the innovation that's going to determine what kind of society we live in. And, you know, choices in front of us are, are we trying to create a world that's essentially using technology to displace human potential, or are we creating a world that unleashes human potential and maximizes it and creates a more fulfilled society? Just culturally, what do we want to be as a society is a, uh, is, is a big question. And I think as tech is going mainstream, um, we, we need to have a more sense of purpose in the kinds of things we invest in and the kinds of uh, things we want to create uh, for the future. And that, that's really what got me thinking about it and, and writing that piece. 
Sure, you know, I, and, and I, I think the point is so interesting. And by the way, when you say the stipend, you're talking about the, uh, the, the proposal, the idea out there for something that's being called universal basic income, right? That's right. That's right. So there's this whole uh, theory today that, gosh, as jobs go away and, and you move into a post-work era as a society, uh, how are people going to live? And, and is the idea that in, in a world where there's a lot of automation, um, do you end up um, uh, having to give people some basic stipend that they can live off of and then they can, you know, uh, uh, figure out what to do with their time elsewhere? I think that's, that's what we're, we're, a lot of folks are thinking through as those that have embraced the idea that, you know, tech is not only uh, automating, uh, you know, jobs like manufacturing, but it's slowly going to start taking over what, you know, lots of knowledge uh, working classifications are about as well, whether it's medicine or, or what have you. Sure. If it's a pervasive it, issue, then what are we going to do as, as, a, as a species in term, with our time? Well, it really is a fascinating thing. I mean, just, just staying on this for one more minute uh, about the idea of a universal basic income. I mean, uh, and clearly th there's lots of, of, of different approaches, and, it, and we're, uh, we're quite a distance from anything like that becoming real. But just at, at its basic concept, you're talking about or th th that would be some new government program that would come in and provide some basic income, some basic, you know, create a floor, if you will, um, for people to have some ability to sustain themselves as we're going through this major transformation of the economy. But of course, that kind of to your point, that, that presupposes that we are fundamentally going into an era for some foreseeable future, uh, or unforeseeable future, I should say, that, uh, that where jobs are eliminated and, and functions in the economy can't be replaced at the rate uh, by which they're going away right now. Just, just that onto itself is, kind of, is, is, a, is a pretty concerning set of circumstances. I think, I think that's right. That, that is the theory that has some folks uh, worried and planning ahead. And in fact, I recently attended a dinner around ideas for uh, universal basic income. And, and, and somebody mentioned, which I thought was fascinating, that you know, in, in, in 30 years, you might have to pay to work because there just isn't that much work, and, and work gives you purpose, and then you may have to pay for it. So, I mean, it's, I know it sounds like a crazy idea today, but the point is that there's a real concern around, hey, uh, automation applies to not just sort of physical tasks, but also cognitive tasks as AI becomes more and more mature. And, uh, well, when that starts happening, uh, and it's more cost-effective to do that as opposed to employing people, isn't that just going to be a pervasive dynamic across of uh, uh, the entire economy. How real do you, I'm just curious as to your opinion, how real do you think this concern is about permanent elimination of job functions in the economy? And, you know, because as I sort of look at it, and certainly we've gone through in human history major uh, economic shifts, right, from agrarian to industrial and industrial to mechanical uh, and into, into information technology, we've had massive shifts. We've had huge changes in how the economy functions, and yet employment has risen, quality of life has risen, and, you know, in places in the, like the United States and all across the world, certainly not, you know, universally. But, I mean, I, I'm wondering if this is overblown or if you think this is actually something that we're going to have to address, that these are permanent shifts in how the economy works and the number of jobs that will exist within it. So I struggle with this question quite a bit, as you can imagine. And, and the way um, 
I try to answer this question is, um, are, are there types of jobs I can think of that fundamentally technology just wouldn't uh, uh, be able to replace? And over there, I, I always end up coming out that, no, there's, there's going to be automated ways to do just about everything that we do today. Um, now, then the question is, what are the new things that we haven't been able to envision? And, you know, you could see uh, as, as uh, things like AR and VR become pervasive and, and your alternate reality or your virtual reality becomes just as real as the physical world. You know, people may choose to spend more time sitting on their couch with a, you know, next generation VR headset and, and maybe there's jobs that get created in there that unleash, uh, you know, human potential. So I think there, there are lots of things you can imagine that might happen uh, and uh, that could open up new types of jobs uh, as the, the physical and sort of more of the cognitive jobs uh, do head towards automation. But I think some of it is also about uh, going back to the article you were referencing, how do we want to play the next 30 years as we bring these new technologies to bear? Um, and uh, you know, if we, if we embed technology into society with the right mindset, I don't think it's going to be a problem. But that, again, goes back to the unleash human potential, build these technologies, develop these technologies to get more out of humans as opposed to replacing them. Um, you know, we, this is not the first time we've had to think about a responsible use of technology and how we, uh, and approaching it. Nuclear was a great example. Now, you know, that was a existential threat. And so we, we figured out how to, um, handle nuclear disarmament, but also be able to use it as a, as a, uh, cost effective and safe, uh, source of power, uh, for, uh, for large parts of the world. Yeah. Uh, Unfortunately, mainstream technology and software, the way we think about it is, you know, doing that right is a little bit like, you know, uh, a frog in a boiling plant because there's no immediate risk, uh, like the existential risk that nuclear presented. And as a, as a society, uh, you know, we're not very good at long-term thinking. So, you know, one of my big things is, can we actually start to be better long-term thinkers in, in how we, uh, start to define this this future world with technology. Plus, these are huge questions, and and alongside that, I, I would ask, and then and then, what are the right uh, institutions um, to help shape how we try to plan for the future, right? And and that is to say, is government uh, the answer, right? You know, when you talk about a, a program with the the kind of potential scale and reach as a universal basic income. I mean, presumably the government would have to have a major role uh, uh, in defining and executing such a program. Um, but I wonder, I wonder about your thoughts uh, on is that right? Or are there, are there ways that can the private sector or other sectors come together and help to, to do that longer-term thinking and put some of these new structures in place to address some of these major gaps that you're talking about? Yeah, so uh, I think all mainstream sectors in some ways operate at the intersection of technology, policy, and finance. So in some ways, government is always uh, involved. When you think about how uh, the, the process of technology going mainstream over the past decade, uh, one thing that has happened is, you know, you, you have seen the creation of these platforms that are very monopolistic uh, in nature because they've got network effects around them and uh, uh, it's a winner-take-all uh, market the way it's set up. And they're using a lot of AI um, 
in influencing what we see as 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 folks what we get exposed to you know the whole fake news issue that recently surfaced was all around just the algorithms taking hold and 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 uh, 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 sort of uh, attenuating our biases if you will um, I, I, I I think the choice in front of the innovation sector is as these companies become these large platforms are they going to self regulate are they going to uh, embrace algorithmic accountability. If they do a good job of it, then I think you'll have less regulation needed uh, uh, for this next phase. If they um, don't, uh, they're not as uh, uh, focused on algorithmic accountability and 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 uh, um, uh, it sort of exposing products and services to consumers on top of their platforms. Then I think government's going to step in. And and my personal bias is. Uh, the more regulation there is, the less uh, innovation happens because uh, the focus of the businesses starts to uh, be towards catering to regulators as opposed to serving their right. customer. In fact, that's why I think the net promoter scores of all the major uh, regulated industries like utilities and schools and hospitals, you name it, they, they, none of them provide great customer service because they're highly regulated businesses. And And by the way, when that happens and you can't innovate, you often get yourselves into large problems as well. I think climate change is a problem that got created as a result of that. You know, we, we blame the utilities and anthropogenic sources of, of carbon for climate change, but the reality is we created these structures where these companies just weren't incented to adopt new technologies and, and create new markets. And so wow. I, I, I'm sort of saying all this to say I, I, I do think the the right thing would be for the innovation sector, the entrepreneurs, investors alike, is to think about responsible innovation and and for the, the large technology platforms to handle their power with care and with transparency and with algorithmic accountability. Otherwise, you do start to head towards a regulation-led uh, you know, led economy, and I don't think that's a good place for any of us. Well, it's really, you know, I hear what you're saying, although I didn't quite hear the, the how in the sense that, you know, on one hand, what would be the motivation of these businesses to in, adopt uh, a more thoughtful approach, you know, consider public interest, do that sort of self-regulation, as you're saying. Um, you know, it seems that what we've seen it, traditionally, and now we've elected a new president, I think in part on themes of, We've got to get government out of the way. Government is overreaching. It's an inhibitor to uh, business performance and quality, as you just sort of suggested with some of the heavily regulated businesses. So it seems that the response would be from tech, we'll just do what we're doing to maximize our, our profitability, and we'll just fight regulation as opposed to trying to embrace it. Yeah, but that doesn't end uh, well, in the end, I mean, if you if you if you look at a tech sector, you look at AT and T or look at Microsoft, uh, you know, regulation catches up to you and you know starves you of innovation eventually. I think the the uh, I mean, I, I ponder this question a lot, which is, gosh, when when the baby bells were broken up, uh, they were broken up, you know, geographically, or when you look at uh, when AT and T was broken up, I'm sorry, and then when you look at utilities, the way uh, in the power sector. You know, they were uh, sort of regulated uh, based on geographies as well. I'm not even sure how you would uh, uh, sort of regulate the monopolistic behavior in, in companies that fundamentally thrive on being a monopoly. So what would it mean to even regulate a company like Facebook when 
the entire reason that Facebook works really well is because everybody's on it. And so, so I, I, I do think <laughs> right. there's sort of an interesting uh, set of questions ahead, but uh, rather than go down the path where these issues become uh, significant and there's, you know, a constant uh, a fight with the regulation and eventually you do get the sector to be overregulated, it's better to just be more responsible now. And I think you're seeing indications of, of that a little bit, um, but I do uh, for sure want to see a lot more done in, the, in, in terms of transparency and in terms of making sure the tech business doesn't also start to act like big business where right. you've got four or five companies that have all the data and therefore they'll have all the sophisticated advantages that come from artificial intelligence and, you know, they abuse their power. And, you know, I'd rather see a world where, you know, new innovation can continue to, um, uh, to develop and you do have a free market, um, uh, you know, where the small business also has a level playing field as well. I mean, in fact, this is one of the things that I, I do think about with the new administration, which seems highly pro-business, but it's, it's more highly pro-big business than highly pro-sort of business in general in, in, in at least the early uh, moves that I'm seeing. And we certainly want to make sure we don't forget the little guy. Yeah, it really, it's, a great, it's a great transition. I, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, that as well. And, you know, because, there, you know, when you think about innovation and technology, uh, certainly the Silicon Valley, but both literally and, and as a metaphor for tech in general, you know, th these were things that, that started off as highly entrepreneurial. And these were, you know, famously businesses that were started in garages by a couple of people. And, and then they, they grew into tremendous enterprises. But at their nature, they were, they were small businesses that got big. And it, and it was about entrepreneurship. And it was about uh, attracting talent where folks were educated at a level that they could plug into this, these thriving tech ecosystems. Um, but, I, but I wonder now, is that really what, where we are? Is that what, is that what today's Silicon Valley looks like? Uh, is it as entrepreneurial? Is it as open of a system to allow new uh, small businesses an entrance into the market? Or do, you, or do you see it as becoming more of a closed system, quite honestly, you know, financially and, and, and otherwise? Well, I think uh, um, it, it, it's a complex question. I mean, I have, I have this thesis uh, that I call the economies of unscale and uh, is, is the driver of a lot of the innovation that's happened in the last 10 years. And the basic thesis is that, you know, entrepreneurs that have, you know, interesting uh, products in mind, products and services that are great for consumers uh, can, um, you know, build these companies on um, – Little capital can build these companies using a lot of these platforms that we just referenced and essentially rent scale and, and, and become large uh, fast. And, that's, and that pervasive behavior happens uh, to be unbundling scale, if you will. It's like a, if, if you think about you know, why there's all these companies that are making these, in, in large numbers, new brands are coming up building consumer products, you know, apparel, consumer packaged goods, et cetera. You think about new insurance companies popping up, you think about sort of how a lot of the incumbency that couldn't be challenged before with entrepreneurial uh, efforts as easily is all uh, uh, seeing comp uh, successful competition from, from new entrants. It's all because these platforms have made it easy to uh, acquire or reach customers. It's made it easy to make things using, you know, companies like Flextronics that have popped up in globalization. It's easy to use logistics platforms.
it's easy to sort of just rent computing from Amazon. You've got all these platforms. So, so in some ways, these platforms have actually accelerated, accelerated the creation of new companies and the fact that these companies can serve small niches that would have been otherwise subscale to serve, and that has accelerated the creation of, uh, of, of the uh, small, small companies. On the other hand, right. the, the advan- because the, uh, all the data, all the information of, uh, goes to these platforms as to what's happening with these, these companies, the larger incumbents, these platforms do have a lot of um, power in understanding what's working, what's not working, and being able to use that to their own benefit as opposed to being truly open. And the issue is those decisions are made in software, and it's not very transparent as to what's really going on. And, and, and if, if uh, when that transparency isn't really there, that's where I think these troubles start to emerge in terms of, hey, are there monopolistic tendencies manifesting themselves, or are we really seeing the little companies uh, getting a fair shot or not? I think that dynamic is what I'm talking about when I say sort of responsible uh, you know, uh, innovation uh, by these platforms. Uh, and uh, and I, I do think if, if we, if these big tech companies don't do that, they will face regulation. And I don't think that'd be good for the entire sector. Yeah, it's really, uh, it's such a complex uh, point that you're making. And, you know, when I try to relate it to, you know, thinking about politics again for just a moment, and you look at what happened in the last election, and certainly uh, a, a part of it, if not a a, a majority of it, was defined by this notion that the economy of the United States just is not working for a large majority of the American public. They look at tech centers like the Silicon Valley or Austin or Boston, and they see a small number of people getting extraordinarily wealthy and being in control of a a significant part uh, of our nation's economy and wealth but they don't see any pathway for that prosperity and those gains to, to extend to them in places like the Rust Belt or, frankly, even places like Fresno, California. Um, I, 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 what do you think about that characterization? Do you, do you agree that that's essentially the shape of our economy today? Or, yeah, yeah. Or, I, or is that I, oversimplified? Yeah. Look, I, I think those are real, uh, real issues. First of all, the, the tech sector has, is bringing a lot of prosperity to our nation as a whole. I mean, the fact that you know, Uber gets, I don't know, 15 cents or 20 cents for every dollar of a taxi ride in France or Germany or anywhere in the world and, and brings that, you know, value back to our economy. Uh, when was the last time that was possible? So, so what we've been able to do with technology and data, this is why sort of technology or data is the new oil sort of phrase that is going around is, is quite accurate in my mind that I actually think we're, we're able to capture uh, a lot of value uh, from uh, the way these tech companies have been built here in the United States and they're global and, and making our economy stronger. The issue is around uh, job creation, right? And, and, and the fact that a lot of this work gets done by not, a lot, not um, a lot of people. I mean, that's really, and that's where the concentration of, of wealth happens to the few and, 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 and especially in this, in the, it, you know, accreting into this tech sector, if you will. Um, I do think that's a real issue. I think we, have to solve it. I think this new administration needs to focus on that, but it needs to focus on that in a way that doesn't slow down our capability of our technology companies to continue to maintain global uh, dominance that they have been. Because honestly, right. the way the platforms are set up today, if we don't do that here, other countries will. And, and we will 
that'll be a huge loss for us. I mean, that market leadership, we do not want to lose that. Now, what do we do about making sure that we do have, you know, new forward-looking jobs created in, in the U.S.? I do think there's areas where uh, there, there is a lot of opportunity to migrate our infrastructure to the new new. Uh, and we think about, um, you know, uh, energy. You don't have to believe in climate change, but you do um, have, you, you can think of the advanced energy uh, opportunity as a massive job creation opportunity. We should upgrade our infrastructure, our utilities, our, you know, gas stations into charging stations, our, you know, putting solar on our roofs so that our power infra- uh, Power um, uh, infrastructure is migrating to the new new. That's a lot more sure. secure and 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 you know uh, independent and sort of takes advantage of our own resources. I think there is a lot of that that can be done and be invested in to propel us into continued leadership and new job creation in the country. So there's there's the I I, I wish the new administration sort of does things that expands on those kinds of jobs and doesn't retard the progress that the technology sector is making in, in truly uh, make, making U.S. the tech powerhouse that it is with the global platforms. Yeah, it makes so much sense. We, we, we actually had a piece right now in TechCrunch talking about uh, the president-elect's suggestion of doing a, a, a massive infrastructure program uh, as, as one of the key initiatives of his new administration, and, and we urged that if that's true, to think about how that can work together with technology to innovate and modernize all kinds of aspects of our public infrastructure. You touched on energy, transportation, obviously, is a, another enormous uh, area of opportunity. Uh, water, um, it, you know, you, you could go down the, uh, down the line, but, but it does seem that there's a big chance to take some of our technological capabilities and apply them to these basic systems uh, that could have lots of benefits, not the least of which could be the creation of a lot of new jobs. Exactly. And, and, and that is a probably a two-decade opportunity in terms of the kinds of jobs and how long, you know, it'll take to actually migrate our, our you know, power infrastructure and, and you know, uh, urbanization, sort of city infrastructure and so on to the, to the uh, next generation um, uh, technologies, if you will. So I, I, do, I, do, I do think that could be a huge opportunity for us. Well, we've got just a couple of minutes left. I, I wanted to touch on, on one other topic, and that is, I, so as we're talking about how to expand opportunity, create jobs, and, and, and welcome uh, people to be able to participate in this new economy, uh, you've been very outspoken about education and, and, and looking at the way uh, public education works today and, uh, and, and, and what it is or is not delivering against real opportunities uh, I, I'm cur- I, I assume that, that that's an area that you think uh, absolutely needs to be rethought if we're ever to expand opportunities to folks that aren't fully participating now. Yeah, I, I, so I, I do think a lot about that. Um, I'm involved in um, uh, Khan Academy and uh, Class Dojo, which are uh, uh, run by two incredible entrepreneurs and, uh, um, you know, sort of showing the way in terms of what the, the education system should be for the 21st century. And in my core belief is that r- what we have learned through entrepreneurship in Silicon Valley, we sort of have to apply it to our lives, meaning uh, th- there should be this notion of an entrepreneurial life, if you will. And 
that involves learning how to learn and take advantage of opportunities in a much more um, seamless and uh, successful way uh, sort of throughout your life. I mean, today, today what we end up doing is we've got this Prussian-based education system. We, we put our kids through these factories where everybody's the same age and they're learning the same things at every hour as opposed to, again, going back to unleashing human potential, everybody learning based on their own interest, learning at their own pace, and learning things that are interesting, things that they want to build on and they can be great at. And our education system today is not set up to be able to uh, empower us to do that. I do think this is where things have to move so that we, everybody is, is uh, sort of bought into this uh, uh, personalized uh, learning model. It requires upgrading our classrooms, going back to the infrastructure argument that I was making earlier, upgrading how our school systems operate and moving towards this next, this next generation learning model. I do think uh, it, when it comes to training our uh, society and our next generation to survive and thrive in this kind of uh, technology era that we're headed in, these are the kinds of skills that are a lot more important than being able to factor polynomials, uh, you know, a little quick more, a little quicker than the next guy, which is what, uh, you know, we seem to be obsessed with when we think about the academic learning in our, uh, uh, in our schools today. Sure. Although I would say uh, a lot of people are, are very, candidly, very fearful of the type of innovative and, and disruptive, almost, if you will, models that you're touching upon for public education, worried that if we break loose from the existing system, we create uh, a system that becomes uneven, at least in terms of its access uh, to, 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 to everyday people. Uh, how, how, do you, how do you respond to that concern that, that's out there, that what we have today is something that's at least trying to protect equal opportunity for people to get public education that 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 value may be uh, uh, might might be I, lost. I, I think uh, uh, the motto of 20th century was about egalitarian systems. So you know, how do we make sure everybody gets equal education? How do we make sure everybody gets good health care? And what we've done in that is actually created low, lowest common denominators for everybody. So when you think about education, how even is it really? I mean, you you have districts with you know, that are they're more prosperous, that can afford to have better schools than not. And this is a place where, you know, a teacher in every school is trying to teach the same, you know, the same concepts differently with different level of resources. The whole point to, to, uh, that I'm trying to make is that you, you want to make this so affordable and, and using technology uh, that you do allow uh, everybody to have access to the same set of tools and capabilities and let them uh, traverse the education graph, if you will, based on their own capabilities so they can, they can create mastery of the things, A, that are important to them, and B, in a manner that they, they learn the best. I think that's really the opportunity in terms of the future of education as opposed to saying how do we just make sure every school is is uh, you know has got the budget to be able to do what we think is a baseline level of education. It truly should be about how does every kid maximize their own potential by using the same set of tools that are you know, powered by uh, AI and are sort of designed for self-paced learning and designed for harnessing you know, their particular interests and teaching them uh, in a way that catches their attention as opposed to some uh, you know, lowest common denominator in terms of the pedagogy. Got it. Well, last question, and that is that in your piece, 
that we talked about at the very beginning, uh, where you sort of raised the question about whether we're at a place now where uh, technology is helping us to either unleash human potential or just release, uh, replace humans. Uh, it is an important question. Um, how hopeful are you uh, that we're going to get that right? Well, I, as, as a venture capitalist, I live in hope. Um, I, I, do, I do think uh, we are going to get that right. I think there's a lot of smart minds that are thinking through this, this issue that I have raised. And, uh, um, you know, this is just part of uh, an industry that's maturing and understanding how impactful it actually is on society. And, and uh, you know, most – most entrepreneurs come uh, do what they do because they've got a great sense of passion and they want to have an impact. And I think if, if we can coalesce on a set of guiding principles uh, around the kind of future we want to create, I do, I do think we'll end up creating the, kinds of, the, the, the bright future that can be created with the tools that are available to us today. So I'm, I'm quite optimistic. Well, that's great to hear. Well, Hemantaneja, you've been uh, a great voice and a great leader raising these uh, very important topics and be willing to share your wisdom and time with, uh, with a number of folks and including us on A Step Ahead. We're very grateful. Thanks for your time. My pleasure. Bye-bye.